I always, uh, I've done this ever since I started preaching, you know, in 1982, you know, that there's a million and one things that you could talk about, share about as a minister. You know, there's so many different subjects. But, you know, I just believe that God has a plan for every service. You know that? I believe God has a purpose and a plan and something that, that He wants to communicate to us that will give us hope, give us a future, give us faith, and lift us up. Amen? And I believe that that's one of these things. Now, uh, I want to start out by prefacing it before we get into our first scripture here. That I think if you, I was thinking about what is one word that would describe the day and the hour in which we live, okay? And I had some different things come to me, but I think one of the main things that not only I've experienced, but other people, you've probably experienced this in the world, is, is the word pressure. How I many know what pressure means? We, we live in a day, we live in an age, you know, time is being condensed. You know, it's like if you, you ever go into uh, like a supermarket and they had one of these big round things that you put a penny in and then the penny goes circling around. Do you ever see that before? And then, the, the, you know, the more it gets condensed to the lower part of that cylinder, you know, it goes faster and faster and faster, Right. And that's kind of like the way time is. Time is being condensed, you know. Major prophecies in the Bible have been fulfilled, you know. You think about how probably the most major prophecy that we've seen literally come to pass in our lifetime is Israel becoming a nation May 11th, 1948. And Jesus said that the generation that sees that the fig tree blossom, that's what had happened, it blossomed. They were scattered for a couple thousand years. And then they became a nation supernaturally, May 11, 1948. And he says, the generation that sees that take place will see all things be fulfilled. And I believe that you and I are the generation that will see the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a major prophecy. But there's a lot of things that come with that because we're in the last times. I mean, I'm so thankful that we live in the day in which we live. You know, we could have been born in the 1800s, we could have been born 1600s, 1500s, you know, but God chose to put you and I here for such a time as this. Amen? Now, if you go over to uh, the book of Daniel, and when I say pressure, let me be a little more specific. Pressure to give up, to quit, to change your mind about what you believe, to give up on standing for what you want to see God do in your life. Okay? There's pressure to give up, a pressure to quit. Anybody here ever been tempted to quit? <laughs> Just a few of us? Okay? And, and pressure is designed by the enemy, putting pressure on our mind, on our thought realm, on our thinking, to say this stuff doesn't work. You know, and it's, it's no different. Back in the Garden of Eden, the very first temptation that came, the devil came in the form of a serpent and told the Adam and Eve's, he said this, hath God said? Remember that? He got them to question what God had said. And they started to entertain the lies of the enemy. And they said, don't you know that if you partake of this tree that you'll be just like a God, you know, you'll be, you know, you have more knowledge and so forth. The fact of the matter is, God had already made them in His likeness, and His image. They were lacking nothing. But the enemy made them feel like they were missing out on something. Because he said, the devil said, through the serpent's body, you know. Now here's the thing, back before the fall of Adam, animals could communicate. 
Because they didn't, I mean, the snake was talking to Adam and Eve, right? They didn't look at each other and say, did you see what just happened right here? You know? That's another subject. But during the millennial reign of Christ, when Jesus comes back and sets up his millennial reign for a thousand years, the Bible says the lion will lay down with the lamb and a kid will play in a snake's den but won't get hurt because the curse will be removed. All right? And so uh, little Fluffy will be able to talk to you again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. But let's go to Daniel chapter 7. This is a kind of an interesting verse right here. You know, everybody talks to their animals. I talk to my animal, our dog, our fluffy little white dog. And, uh, but she's never talked back to us, I can tell you that. But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. <laughs> now, when I read this scripture, I don't think I've ever read this scripture that I know of in church ever that I've referred to it before. This is talking about the Antichrist. Okay? Now, don't worry. You're not going to be here for that. We're getting raptured out of here. Amen? As the church. This is after we get raptured out. And then the, the, uh, the Antichrist has a seven-year reign. Just seven years, okay, on this earth. Because the church is removed. But in Daniel 7.25, Daniel said this, He shall speak, the Antichrist, He shall speak great words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Notice that, wear out. And he shall think to change the times and the laws that were given into the hand until the time of times and the dividing of time. Now, what I wanted to bring out to you right here is that when he's here, when the Antichrist is here, he's going to do things that are going to just wear out the saints. And that's the people that are left on the earth after the church is raptured out of here. Okay? And you, how many of you know during the tribulation, people are still getting saved? People... There's major revival even during the tribulation. But the church will be taken out. And there's many, many scriptures about that being lifted up. Amen? Just like Noah, the ark was a type of rapture. Right? When judgment came on the earth, Noah, and there's eight of them, with his wife and his kids and their wives, there's eight of them, eight souls, it says, on the ark. And when the rain came and the floods came, they were lifted above judgment. They were protected. And that is a type of rapture. Okay? And uh, there's all woven throughout the whole Bible about the catching away of the saints. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? That's our blessed hope of Jesus coming back. But uh, I wanted to read that regarding the Antichrist. Now, I don't, I don't know if he's in the earth yet or not. He's definitely not manifest as the Antichrist. Now, that's not our sub subject today. Say, what did Pastor talk about? The Antichrist today. No, I, I want to talk about... The spirit of Antichrist. The spirit. Now the Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. And that puts pressure on people. Okay. Now I'll clarify that. Go over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 in verse 18. New Testament. After the resurrection. The apostle John says this. 1 John 2 verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last time that you have heard that the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists where, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out, notice he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that were not of us. Okay? Now go over to 1 John chapter 4. You're right there anyway. 1 John chapter 4. 
So the spirit of Antichrist is in the earth, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain exactly what that is. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 says, Hereby we know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore you have heard that it should come, even now is already in the world. Let's not stop there. Look at verse 4. But you are of God, little children. That's you and I. And overcome them. Who? Demons, evil spirits. Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Aren't you glad? Now you as a child of God, as a woman, as a man of God, child of God, when you become a Christian, you didn't just get your sins forgiven. That's a big part of it. But God Himself moved on the inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Stop and think about that. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Man, when you get saved, your body takes up residency of someone called Holy Spirit. I heard a preacher say one time, as a Christian, you're wall-to-wall Holy Spirit on the inside. Amen. Just not a little dab there. I mean, your whole, you've got the Holy Ghost throughout your whole body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle John says right here that, that the spirit of, and he said this 2,000 years ago, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. Let's, let's talk about the word anti and Christ. All right? Anti means like against. Against. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know, like John Smith. There's Jesus Christ lives down there on such and such street. It's not his last name. But Jesus, the anointed Christ, means the anointed one. The anointed one. Now, notice the word anti means against Christ, against the anointing. And there's a spirit that's in the world today that... How many of you that hates Christianity, mocks Christianity? I mean, just turn the television on and you'll see it. You know what I'm saying? And making light of it. You know, that's a mockery. And maybe you've met some people. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I remember way back in the days, it was probably 1982, I was working for a company uh, doing... uh, uh, for a tree arborist, okay, doing tree work and stuff like that. And actually, it was 1986. And I remember there's a guy that I was working with, a young guy, big, tall guy. And uh, we were driving back, and I had just started our first church. This is 1986. We were having a Bible study, actually, at the time. And I was driving back. We were in the back of the truck. I was sharing this with Dan a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he says, hey, what you, dude, what you doing tonight? I said, well, we're going to have a Bible study in our house. And, uh, and he knew I was starting a church at the time. This is years ago now. And, uh, and so when I said Bible study, when I said we're going to have a Bible study, he rose up. He goes, he goes, what the heck? And he used some choice words. I won't say it here, but, you know, some four-letter words. He says, what do you, who do you think you are? And I'm thinking, what? You know, he, he wanted to fist fight me in the back of this truck. I mean, it was like this rage. It was a rage that came over this guy. And I said, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it here just a second. I said, you asked me a question, what I was doing tonight. I just answered your question, you know. 
And it was like, the light came over, it was like, oh, okay, you know. But he was, uh, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Now, he didn't even know that he was being controlled by that. Now, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that the prince of the power of the air is working in the children in this world, the children of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air. Now, here's the thing. Before we were saved, before we knew Jesus, we were all controlled by the prince of the power of the air. We just didn't know it. We didn't know it. Until the light of God's word shined on us, then we realized, I need a Savior. Okay? Now, this antichrist spirit that's in the world today does not have to govern. We, we, it's our responsibility to not let that govern us. Okay? And that's why you see a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of churches nowadays and so forth. I'm not here to criticize anybody that, that do away with things that have to do with the anointing. Okay? While I'm on that subject, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 10. The Bible says the anointing shall destroy the yoke. Amen? Yeah. Acts 10.38, and I'll just refer to it, says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Acts 10.38. So God anointed him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. For what purpose? To do good, to heal. Right? To heal people physically, to heal people emotionally. And the the scripture tells us in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he spent... Now think about it. He spent three-fourths of his ministry healing the sick 2,000 years ago. Three-fourths, three-quarters of his ministry was, he was, you know, people say, well, that's not really that important. Well, tell the Lord that. Because he spent three-quarters of his ministry healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. Right? Now notice in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. See, we have to... Our belief system, this is really important you and I understand this. Our belief system must be in agreement with what God's Word says. And if our belief system, if the way we think, our paradigm, if, we, if we're thinking contrary to the Scriptures, it's not going to help us. Okay? That's why we have to have the Word of God as our final authority to look into that Word to find out what does God say about us. Now here in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 27 it says, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken off his shoulder and, off, and the yoke from off of his neck. And notice this, the yoke, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Amen? Now yoke means bondage. And the yoke in a person's life can be destroyed because of one thing, the anointing. Would you say the anointing is pretty important? Now the Bible says in 1 John, and I'll just refer to it because of the sake of time, but the Bible says that you have an unction from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. When you receive Jesus, that anointing is now resident on the inside of you. Now sad to say a lot of people have only associated the anointing with with a goosebump or a special feeling. Okay? And sometimes that can be the case. But the fact is, whether you feel God or not, He's there on the inside of you. I don't feel God physically right now, but I know He's in there. Amen? How many of you can feel your brain? How many of you can feel your lungs? Well, you can't, right? But you know it's there, right? 
It says the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Amen. Now we're talking about the subject this morning. I, the title of it is, I am not moved. Amen. You want to bring that up, Josh? I am not moved. Say, I am not moved. And there's a lot of scripture in the Bible about not being moved. Now, Smith Wigglesworth, one of the pioneers of the Pentecostal movement in the 1800s, early 1900s, said this. He coined this phrase. He says, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by the Word of God. And that man had more miracles than recorded in modern day history. I mean, people raised from the dead, healed. I mean, supernatural things that were documented under his ministry over there in England, Bradford, England. Okay? But he made this statement. He says, I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by the Word of God and I believe what the Word of God has to say. Okay? I stopped, I stopped and I'm kind of laying a foundation here this morning, so forgive me. I'm kind of going back and forth here, but Everybody that did something, how many of you appreciate your Bible? You appreciate the people in the Bible, amen? But anybody and everybody that did something significant in the Bible had resistance, and they could have quit. <coughs> Stop and think about that. I'll just name a few right here. Uh, look at Noah, okay? The Lord asked him to build a big boat. It never rained before, Okay? And by the way, the remains of Noah's Ark are still on Mount Ararat. Okay? It's still there. The exact dimensions. Amen? Look it up. It's there. And uh, I have friends that have gone over there for archaeological digs. You know, I've been invited actually to go there myself. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to do it. But think about it. God told Noah to build an ark. And it took him almost 100 years to build this thing. Like, a, what, 99 years, whatever it was, a building project. Okay? <laughs> 99 years. And it, the Bible talks about how the people mocked him and made fun of him and just said, who do you think you are and all this kind of stuff. But their laugh turned into crying when it started raining and flood for the first time. Now it's too late. And Noah had patience. Noah had resistance. Okay? But he did what God told him to do. Look at Moses, look at the resistance that Moses had with not only Pharaoh, but with, with the Israelites who were some knuckleheads after he brought them out of, out of Egyptian bondage and saw the miraculous, you know. And then you got a bunch of, like two million complainers. Think about that. And they're constantly complaining about provision and constantly complaining about their lack of this or that, you know. Meanwhile, God has already provided everything for them supernaturally. Like that rock we just saw, that's the split rock of Horeb, all right, where God instructed him, and that's a type of Christ, that rock. It says that in 1 Corinthians. That was a rock that followed them, was the type of Christ, right? And when he hit that rock and it split open and millions of gallons of water came out of that thing and watered the Israelites for their cattle, for them, for as long as they were there. Stop and think about the manna that came down from heaven, bread from heaven, every single morning. And Jesus said, the manna that they gave him, he says, I am the bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is, that's all a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. But all these people that we know of and we read about, they had resistance. 
I mean, move step forward, we look at Joshua and Caleb that are about to leave, uh, you know, Sinai, and they're going to about to go into the promised land that God promised them. And they had resistance from the other Israelites. And the Bible says 12 of them came back with a report. They spied out the land that God said, this is for you, this belongs to you. But 10 of them came back with an evil report of unbelief. But only two, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report and said, you know, we can do this. We can do this. God already promised us the land. We can do it. But the other 10 had a negative report of unbelief that says they had a bad report. And that, you know, it, it got so bad sometimes they wanted to stone the people that were positive. Stop and think about that. And while I'm on the subject, you think about David. David, King David, the leader of Israel, years later, got in a tight jam, was under pressure. Like I said, the day of pressure. And uh, the enemy came in and captured their wives and their children and, I mean, just ransacked everything that they had. And the Bible says that David's own men began to turn on him and began to criticize him. Amen. And, 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 and they spake of stoning him, David. Now, one day he's their pastor. He's the best thing since sliced bread. But then things aren't going so well. Things don't look like they're lining up. Okay? And they, they began to turn on David. And, I mean, everybody was coming out against David. But the Bible says David went and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When nobody around him was saying, it's going to be all right, David. Just hang in there. It's going to be all right. He didn't have anybody. But the Bible says he went and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, how does how's that happen? How do you encourage yourself? Well, you can talk to yourself. And I think one of the major re ways that you can encourage yourself is to remind yourself of previous battles that God won for you. Because David, before he faced Goliath, he faced the lion and the bear. Remember that? Because they came after his, one of his sheep. And I mean, he rose up and went after and slew a lion and a bear with his hands. Think about that. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, 12 foot, almost 12 foot tall giant, he said, he'll be just like one of those, you know. And I think that when anytime God does something for you, that's why it's important to have a journal. Whenever you get a prayer answered or something happens in your life, even if it's seemingly small things. I mean, think of it, you pray and you get a close parking space. Yeah, that may not seem like a big deal. Now, my wife here, praise the Lord, she used to, Years ago, when we first got married, she would pray for parking spaces, you know, especially during the holidays when there's a lot of people and you have to park real far away, you know. And I'll be honest with you, I thought, isn't that being a little hyper-spiritual? She's praying. I'm thinking this. I didn't say it. <laughs> there's certain things you think, but you don't say, right? <laughs> but she had to, she, it's one thing I always so appreciate about my wife is, you know, um, we'll be married, what, 37 years coming up here this July. And uh, she's always had a childlike faith. Not childish, a childlike faith where that's nothing. We can just trust God. We can just believe God. And I mean, that was, that was always encouraging for me. But I watched God do that through her. I watched it through the years. Just a childlike faith, no big deal, you know. And I learned from that, okay. Now, my point being is this, is when God does something for you. How many here have ever had a prayer answer before? Okay. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. The enemy of your soul, the devil, not the guy in a red pajamas and a pitchfork and horns. Okay, we're, we're talking about the spirit of the devil. 
He wants to discourage you more than anything else. But when God answers your prayer, you are chalking up, here's a victory here, here's a victory there, here's a victory here. And you remember those things. That's why it says, forget not the benefits of the Lord. When God does something for you, and it looked pretty bad when you were going through it. I look back in my life, there were some things that I faced that were like, whoo, man. You know what I'm saying? I remember when the, when the surge, chief surgeon came in, I had severe bleeding on my brain, you know. And they were going to have to do, they wanted to do brain surgery on me about seven or eight years ago. You know, it was a bleak situation. It looked bad from the natural, you know. But I, I chose during that time, and I thank God I had a wife and two kids that were standing with me in a church that was standing with me, you know. And that whole thing happened to me on a Christmas Eve service. I didn't know what was going on. I came to church. I'm bumping into the pulpit walls, people. I did, I, my sense of balance was totally off, you know. And, uh, but, you know, it turned out pretty good. I didn't get surgery. Amen? I didn't have to have surgery. Now, they wanted me to, but I felt in my spirit, you don't have to. It's okay. Right? And, and the Lord touched me and the Lord healed me. And there's other things that he's done for me physically as well that should have taken me out of this earth over the last few years. Right? And, but every time that that's happened, I remind myself, look at Keith, look at what God did for you here. Look at what he did for you two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. And I'm still here. Okay? And I'm so thankful for that. I'm really thankful for that. Brother Dan, you know what I'm talking about. Same thing has happened to you too, you know. But he's standing strong and he's still ministering the word of God. Amen. And will do it. Amen. Amen. Because uh, David had all that pressure coming against him. But we have to remind ourselves. The easiest thing to do is when you get discouraged is uh, back off. Back off the things of God. Back off prayer. Back off coming to church. Back off this because of pressure. And that's what the devil wants to do. Is he wants to put pressure on you to make you think it's not working. But it is who told you it's not working. It is working. Great battles and great victories are won for those people that refuse to quit, refuse to give up, that have a backbone like a crowbar, not a jellyfish. Amen? And you, you don't have to be a wimpy Christian. God never made... Any wimpy Christians. Amen? And he, he meant for us to be strong and stable. And I thought about these different people that did things, significant things in the Bible. Look at Moses, look at Noah, look at Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Elijah, who called fire down from heaven, outran the king's chariot. You know, and, and Queen Jezebel came along. There's still a few of those around today. <laughs> Jezebel said, I'm going to take your head off. And Elijah got so discouraged, he went and he hid under a, a juniper tree. And he said, Lord, just take me home. Kill me now. He got so discouraged. Okay? See, these, the Bible says these are men of like passions, like us. They had discouraging things. They had thoughts of discouragement. Thoughts of giving up. You look at David, you look at Gideon, you look at Nehemiah, you look at the Apostle Paul. And these are just some of the names that we recognize. Every single one of these people had resistance. Now stop and think about it for a minute. Would we really know 
who David was without a Goliath? Would we really know who Noah was without a flood? They're known for their ability to conquer and to overcome things in life that were meant to destroy them. And the things that the devil sends to try to destroy us, we can turn around and slap them in the face and get a testimony out of that. Amen. Right? And get a testimony. Instead of the monies, get a testimony, right? That's what Joyce Meyer always says. And I wrote down here, lastly, on the other side of quitting is always great blessing. On the other side of quitting, the easiest thing in the world to do is quit and give up. It is. It's easy. It takes. It's, it's easiest. It's the easy way, right? Any old fish can float downstream, but it takes a live one to go upstream against the current, like a salmon. Okay. So just because, like I said, we're living in a day of pressure. We're living in a day of resistance. It's the spirit of antichrist that comes against us, and some we just have to stand up and say, "No, you don't. Amen. No, you don't, devil. I'm not quitting." I'm not giving up. Yeah. I'm not cashing it in. I'm not throwing the towel in. I'm, that's, a, 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 that's a boxing term. Throw the towel and quit. Give up. <coughs> Forfeit. We got to say it like this. I don't quit easily. Say that. Don't Amen. We don't quit easily. Something, some things are worth fighting for. Okay? And if Jesus died and purchased certain things for you to have in this life, not just in the sweet by and by, but here in the here sweet and now, then we, we should stand in faith for, for what belongs to us. Stand and believe God and trust Him. Okay? Now, let's go over to uh, the book of Acts for a minute here, and I want to wrap this up this morning in the book of Acts. Acts and uh, chapter 20, actually. The last person I want to make mention of here that had significant resistance, oh my goodness, and it's really, really spelled out, is the Apostle Paul, who was formerly Saul of Tarsus. Remember that? He was a perfect, before he, became, before he became a Christian, before he came to the light in Acts chapter 9, when he saw that light from heaven and knocked him off his horse, you know. <laughs> he was a, a chief persecutor of the church. In fact, remember Stephen in the Bible? Uh, who was behind that? Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was there standing, holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen. He was consenting to that. And he had letters from the governor, that, that, like, letters of authority. that he would, And if he found anybody that was a believer in the way, he said he would go into their house, take them out, torture them, throw them in jail, do whatever he wanted to do with them. He was on a mission to destroy Christians. Now he says, I was... After he received Christ, he said, I was completely deceived and controlled by the devil, but I didn't know it until he encountered Jesus. Amen? Now, we know that at the, at the death of Stephen, when Saul was there, Stephen, it's recorded that Stephen, they had stone, rocks in their hands. They're about to take him out, literally stone him. He was a, a follower of Jesus, you know? And he, he made this statement. It's recorded. It says, Stephen said he knelt down and he prayed. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand. He had a vision. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Stop and think about that. Jesus stood up for him. And he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Forgive them. 
Just like Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Jesus said, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they do. All right. Now, how many of you know God heard Stephen's prayer? And I believe he didn't feel any rocks. He didn't feel any pain. God just took his spirit, snatched it out of there before the rocks hit his body. There was a grace that was there. And um, so what happened? A short time after that, Paul, Saul Saul of Tarsus, same guy that was there that killed him, uh, was on on the road to Damascus on their horses and so forth. And they're going there to persecute more Christians. On the road to Damascus, suddenly he saw a blinding light from heaven. It was Jesus. (laughs) And he said, Saul, Saul, why why do you persecute me? Isn't that interesting that that phrase is used, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why do you persecute me? You see, when the devil touches you, God takes that personally because he lives on the inside of you. And he fell off his horse and he heard in a Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And as soon as he fell to the ground, he said this. He was blinded by the glory of God. He said, "Uh, what do you want me to do, Lord? He said, Lord. Okay. Now, he, he got saved right there. Yeah. Saul of Tarsus got saved right there. Hmm. I heard a preacher say one time, I thought it was pretty funny. He said he had such an encounter with God that God knocked the first letter of his name off and gave him a P. From Saul to Paul. <laughs> well, it was more than that. Amen. And so, uh, all he said was, Lord. He didn't say a sinner's prayer or anything. He just, boom, like that. And you know... The Apostle Paul, we read his letters every week in church, just about, pretty much every week. Do you know he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament? His letters take up three-quarters of the New Testament. He had more revelation than anybody, okay? But you know, if you back up back upstream where that all started, Stephen didn't become bitter even at the point of being stoned. He released forgiveness, and what happened? God went after his enemies, Not to destroy them, but Paul came to Jesus. Saul came to Jesus and became the great apostle Paul. See, when you release forgiveness towards people that have wronged, there's probably not a person in this room right now that hasn't someone had somebody do something bad to you, hurt you. You know what I mean? All of us, you know, we could compare stories, I'm sure, but all of us have had things happen, unfortunate things, and, you know, and... But the thing is, when you release forgiveness towards people that have hurt you, you're actually helping yourself. You're actually helping yourself. Okay? When I, I've had opportunities, to be honest with you, through the years to, to be in unforgiveness towards somebody. I've had some marvelous opportunities. <laughs> to hold bitterness and get upset at people, you know. But you know, if, if I do that, I'm only hurting myself. I'm actually hurting myself. But sometimes by faith you have to say, you know, Lord, I don't know if they knew what they were doing or not, but I forgive them, I release them in Jesus' name. When you do that, you are setting yourself up for promotion. You are setting yourself up for the anointing, the work in your life. Right? Because there are people on this earth that will go down to the grave holding bitterness in their heart. And it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. There's great power in forgiveness. Now, when Jesus said, bless them that curse you, pray for those that despitefully use you, you know, he's not just trying to make it hard on us. 
right? I mean, when was the last time you plastered on your refrigerator, bless them that curse you? <laughs> Pray for those that despitefully use you, right? I mean, so is, is Jesus trying to make it hard on us? I don't think so. He's trying to make it so that the anointing can keep coming to us. Can keep coming to us. Right? In Acts chapter 20, I want you to look at verse 19. Paul says right here, he says, uh, describing some of the things, you know, that he went through. He said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me. By lying weight of the Jews. And he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Notice he went from house to house and publicly as well. He didn't just have a big public ministry. He was actually going from house to house at the beginning. Testifying of both the Jews and also the Greeks. Repentance towards God. Faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 22 says, and now I go... And now behold, he goes, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or wait for me. Now, that doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> he said the Holy Ghost. One time Agabus, the prophet, grabbed his belt and grabbed He said, the man that owns this belt, you know... The, Here's what's going to happen to him. And it wasn't pretty things. It wasn't like a good prophecy. <laughs> it was a, but the Lord told him, he goes, I'm going to show the Apostle Paul what things he must suffer from, for my name's sake. Not for any other reason, but for his name's sake. Now, in verse 23, he says, all I know is that bonds and afflictions are waiting for me. Okay? But notice his... The next phrase that I think this is quite amazing right here, and this is the name of our subject, verse 24. Notice this, but none of these things move me. Hmm. Which tells you Paul was not a wimp. He didn't say, I, I, you know, I think the Lord's changed his mind. I think he has something else for me. So I'm going to pack my bags and go do something else. <laughs> Right? He didn't run from it. He had a backbone. He says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, how many of you know that the Apostle Paul actually finished his race? He says, I finished my race. I've kept the faith. He says, now I'm ready to be offered up. So he literally fulfilled the entire ministry that God had for him. Now think about that. And you and I are reaping the major benefits. 2,000 plus years later, we're reaping benefits of the New Testament, the revelation that God gave the Apostle Paul. And by the way, let me just say this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about some of the thorns in the flesh, you know. That was not a sickness or a disease. Because he lists all the things that he was going through about being persecuted and chased down, you know, and, you know, by perils in the desert, peril by his own countrymen, you know, in other words, trouble everywhere I went. And he didn't list sickness or disease. He was talking about persecution. Okay? 
Paul endured. He says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. That's what he said. He goes, of all the persons that came, persecutions that came unto me in Antioch, Iconium, and Derbe, and the region of Galatia, he says, I endured them all. And the Lord delivered me out of all those things. But he made this statement. He says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Stop and think about it for a minute. You know, your life, the decisions that you make to stand for God affect more than just you. They do. The choices and decisions. Now, stay with me right here. We're almost done. Things that you've done, we've all could go back and say, I wish I could have changed what I did in the past, whether it was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. I wish I didn't do that. Don't beat yourself up over that. You can't change that. You can't go back and change what happened. But you can certainly learn. Listen, all of us have things from the past that we wish we could change. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But don't, why, why condemn yourself? Why beat yourself up over that? Because you can't go back five, six years and redo what happened. You can't. But you can learn from that. And you can pick up where you're at right now and you can learn from your mistakes. I've done that myself. Okay? Instead of just staying in the past. And the Apostle Paul had a terrible past. He was a murderer. He was a killer of Christians. But you know what? When he got saved, he never talked about it again. Think about it. When he got born, he never brought up his past again. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you what. He did not let his past hold him back from the future that God had for him. He says, I've had all these persecutions. I've had all these things. But that verse in 24 says, but none of these. The only way that he was able to accomplish his, and fulfill the ministry that God had for him, he said, none of these things move me. In other words, I'm not moved. I know what's going to happen. I know there's some pressure up there. There's some persecution up there. But he, Paul said in Timothy, he says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Amen? See, if I, make a wrong, if I make a wrong choice and a wrong decision, it affects more than just me. It affects my family. It affects my church. It affects everything, the people around me. So I want to make good choices. I want to make right choices that will impact people that are in my circle of influence, right? Amen? And, and Paul knew that. Had he had given up, think about it. If Paul would have gave up when the going got rough, he wouldn't have half the New Testament today. Think about his letters that we read. All of, how many like Paul's revelations? I mean, from heaven. Well, those revelations endured the test of time. Okay? And what's the name of our series? I am not moved. Say, I am not moved. I am not moved. Now, the good news is, if you were easily moved before, that can change. The beautiful thing about the God that we serve is, no matter how much you think you failed, God never, ever gives up on you. He doesn't quit. Okay? I tell people from time to time that have been through some horrific things, and I'll, I'll tell them sometimes, I'll say, look, I'll be your best friend. I will support you. I will encourage you. I will hold you up. I will never be a, be a voice of condemnation to you. Because Jesus isn't. Amen? 
God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. He does. He's got such a bright future for you. I'm telling you. And I believe that God wants to use you and I. We're his body in the earth. Remember? We're his body in the earth. God wants to um, communicate his feelings, his heart through us to other people. Okay? That's why, that's why it's important. Your facial expression really matters. I'm even know that. Amen? When you literally, when you smile at somebody, you're actually telling them, you're okay. I like you. Amen? If Jesus appeared, do you think he'd frown at you? You think you'd get all mean face and go, Amen? Sometimes my dog will act up. I'll give her the mean face. I'll go. And she, she backs up a little bit, you know. <laughs> it's just a game we play sometimes. <laughs> mean face, mean face, you know. But, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Moses got frustrated one day up on Mount Sinai. He said, Lord, I'm tired of seeing your back parts. I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. <laughs> and he said, uh, all right, no man can look upon my face and live. Okay? Now, God's face, just like your face, the sum total of all his goodness and his glory comes out of his face. Of his face. And I know that I've done some major research over the last 10 year period, over 10 years, maybe over 10 years now, about people that have had out of body experiences that, have, that are Christians that left their body whether they're on the operating table and so forth, went to heaven, saw Jesus, saw the angels, saw their mansions, the whole, whole nine yards like we read about in the Word of God, and came back. God sent, sent them back to the earth. And they said, every one of those people, different people that saw the face of Jesus, he said, it's the most transforming thing, a light that you've never seen before. And, it's, and uh, there was one lady I was thinking about, one of the testimonies. I think I might have showed this in church a few years ago. She said, when I saw Jesus' eyes, when I looked into his eyes, when I went to heaven, my spirit went to heaven while my body was still in the earth. And I looked into his eyes and I saw his eyes. It was like wells of living love. And when Jesus looked into my eyes, I could tell he knew everything about me. But he said it was the most loving, except, he said, I felt such love and such acceptance from Jesus like no other person on the earth. Absolute, absolute love. And those people that came back in their bodies, they had the privilege to come back and get in their bodies and, and f finish the rest of their course on this earth, said it's transforming when you see the face of Jesus, when you see his face. Hallelujah. It'll totally transform your life. Amen? Amen? Now, I believe with all of my heart that people... Let me say it like this. People can experience God through you. Okay? Does that make sense? God set it up. God wants people to experience Himself through you. And the way that when you yield to Him and you 
I mean, this, none of this stuff is in vain. When you come to church and you serve God and you pray and you seek Him during the week, you know, and you get in a Bible study and you get close to God, it will affect your countenance. It will affect the way you communicate. It will affect the way you see other people. And actually, when you see Jesus the way He is, you just fall in love with people. Amen? Amen? I think that's the most important subject in the, in, the, in the whole Bible is the love of God. It's the most important thing. And when people feel love and they feel acceptance through you, and I thank God we have a church like that. Amen. And whether you've been here any, a length of time or just, just the, this is your first service, I'll tell you, I just thank God for the people in this church that demonstrate the love of God so that other people can see that in you. Amen? Amen? And just by loving people and caring for people and smiling at people, you might think that's insignificant. That sounds kind of corny, Pastor Keith. But let me tell you something. People out there, there's, this, this world is hurting. People are hurting in this world, and they need people to care for them and people to love them. Amen? There's a lady that works out here at the uh, 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 serving food out there, you know. Every time I see her, I said, come here, I want to give you a big hug, you know. And it's nothing bad, you understand what I mean, but it's just like, you know, I, don't, I didn't tell her about Jesus or anything like that, you know. But I believe that they can experience God's love through us. Are you with me now? Everybody needs love, right? Everybody's searching for love. And boy, I tell you, when they find Jesus, they found the real deal. Amen. One last scripture, I'll just quote it to you here and we'll close here. Because we're out of time here. But in Psalm 16, verse 8. You can just bring it up here. Psalm 16, verse 8. says this, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I shall. Remember that song, that old Pentecostal song? I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Everybody, anybody remember that song? There are a few of us, right? Remember way back in... When I first got saved, you know, I sang that song, I shall, I shall not be moved. But the psalmist says right here, if the Lord is before me, if I'm looking at Him, and that's the key right there, I will not be moved. Now next week, I'm going to get into the details of this. This was kind of an introduction today. But I'm going to get into the details about how you can start doing things in your life that will cause you to not be moved by things or shaken by things. Sometimes, you know, you can be going along and a bad report, you get a phone call, you get a message, a text message or something that's bad news, you know. And sometimes that, that information that comes into your eyes or your ears can move you in not a good way, okay. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about some of these issues that we deal with because all of us from time to time have bad things coming to us, information. You know, maybe you're working in a job situation and they said they're going to lay off half the people there. You know, or you get a doctor's report that's not good, that kind of a thing, you know. All that stuff is subject to change. It is. So we're, we're going to get into the details of that next week. So I'm really looking forward to it. Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads on a word of prayer this morning before we, we leave here today. Thank you, Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if uh, this is your, uh, maybe you haven't heard this presented to you before, but I want to just do this. Is, 
this is only between you and God. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. This is totally between you and the Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, obviously you're here, but you've never, to your knowledge, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Now, I've said this before, now just as an illustration. Everybody in this room knows who the president is, regardless of your political persuasion, okay? But how many people know him personally? Okay? Everybody knows about God. But it's possible to know him on a personal basis. And the way, to, the way to have that in your life is just by saying yes to Jesus. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He died for me. He was buried for me. He rose from the dead just for me. And it's just saying yes. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if within your heart you want to say, yes, I need this, just slip your hand up real quick and put it down. Thank you, Lord, if you've never met Jesus... You want him in your life. Forgiveness of sins belongs to you. Just raise your hand up. Praise God. Say this with me, everybody together. Say, Lord, I ask you to come into my life, to change me from the inside out. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lord of glory the risen Savior. Come into my life now, Lord, and forgive me of every sin. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that today for the very first time, a miracle just took place on the inside of you. Congratulations, amen. Jesus Christ is now in your life. Hallelujah. Well, did you learn something today? Praise God. Like I, I, I always say that our, our sermons, it's like a, tr- a, a train. You know, there's, there's the, the, the main, the engine, then there's other th- cars attached to it. So we're going to just pick up next week where we left off, okay? Praise God. Be blessed. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next week.